2: Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is, as the announcer just said, the word to stand on for life a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, stuff going on in your life questions. Whatever's on your heart, all you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 6305757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvary sa.com or you can use our free calvary chapel of san antonio mobile app and as always if you're driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free kslr mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer we are thrilled that you're here with us a couple of things to clean up tomorrow of course paula will be here on the date day edition of the program On Friday, uh, our program will be uh, live from our men's retreat. Please pray for the men. We're really expecting, asking the Lord to meet us in a really powerful way uh, up in Lakey, Texas. Uh, It's going to be warm, um, but... uh, we're tough. We can handle it. So uh, just pray for us. We, we'd really like to see a genuine move of God's spirit among our people. And uh, so that's uh, on our agenda. Um, tonight, I'm going to be teaching the book of Leviticus, chapter 8. I think an extraordinarily important Bible study tonight in terms of of what it means for us, the application value that it has for our lives. So all of that's going on here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, Again, we'll take your phone calls on Friday, uh, live from the... Uh, Men's retreat, so the program shouldn't change as far as it relates to you, but we'll have a bunch of men in the room with us who will also be asking questions and um, some of the questions that did not get answered at our Q&A that we have uh, uh, on Friday afternoon earlier than the program. Some of those questions we can we can deal with as well. So pray for us. I would appreciate one other update. I want to thank all of you who prayed for our meeting last night with the city council here in Universal City. Um, this was the final step in us being able to move to a bigger location, which is a desperate need that we have. Uh, and we don't have any money. That's why the need becomes desperate. So uh, we are moving. We got a, a, a unanimous vote. Uh, from the city council uh, last night supporting uh, the rezoning of the property so that the church could go in there and and use it. And for us, the real value of it is going to be that we can move all of our ministries under one roof. Um, uh, the Multimedical, which is our free doctor's office, uh, our free Christian academy, um, uh, unusual Kindness, uh, our, our free restaurant, uh, we'll, we'll have room to open that up in, in the uh, facility as well. Uh, we're going to be able to build uh, anywhere from an 800-seat to a 1,000-seat sanctuary, uh, which is our desperate need now because we're just... We're just so packed in. We really can't fit anybody else in. So thank you for your prayers. We watch God move on the hearts of the city council. Rezoning is not something that they want to do, especially for a church. They need the the tax income that comes from retail sales. Uh, And um, uh, we have been trying to find a place in Universal City to move now for several years, and they just weren't open to it. And we've been able to watch the Lord move on their hearts. Um, what was very hostile environment um, two years ago and even a year ago when we first wanted to open up unusual kindness in the place next door to us. Um, suddenly, God turned their hearts toward us and uh, we just found favor through this whole process. Now, it's never a quick process. It's taken a long time. But we finally have the approval. And uh, I, I credit that in part to the many, many people out there that were praying. So we will be moving in the near future. There's going to be, oh, many months of construction and some other things going on. And, of course, we need a lot of money because we don't have any. Um, to, to do the construction, the building. But um, we, we our pipe dream, uh, the, the prayer that we've thrown up before the Lord is that we could hold our Easter service next year in the new facility. Uh, so um, pray for that. Doesn't seem likely, doesn't seem possible from a human perspective, but um, we're asking the Lord Lord to, to grant us that kind of favor. Okay, well, thank you for all of that let's get to the questions that have been sent in This one comes from a b pastor on in John three what does it mean to born to be born of the water and the spirit now a b is I get this question from time to time, and Jesus himself tells us what it means to be born of water and born of the Spirit. And this, of course, happens uh, right uh, at that middle of, of his conversation with Nicodemus, who he has told twice. Now, this is Israel's teacher. This is the preeminent teacher in Israel. And Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of, uh, born again. And he says that twice, once before that statement and once after that statement. And basically he's looking at Nicodemus and saying, you of all people should know this. You shouldn't be surprised being Israel's teacher. And Nicodemus is blown away. What do you mean born again? And so then he says, you must be born of water and spirit. That's verse 5. AB verse 6 is the answer. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's what it means to be born of water. That's the normal birthing process. So the first qualification to be born again is that you've got to be a human being. And so that that natural birth. And then he says the Spirit gives birth to spirit. And so what he's saying is to make you alive, you have to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit, to convict you of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And then... Uh, you can say both I was born once and I was born twice, and that's the value of being born again. It's the one thing that every professing Christian has to deal with, am I born again? Is there a time when I gave my life to Jesus Christ? Am I living my life to him? Is he the one really in charge of my life? So those are the things that that we can, can, can really search our hearts over. And uh, that's what it means. So Jesus himself provides the answer. Now, there's all kinds of symbolism and allegory that people pour in this. Well, you know, to be um, uh, born of, of water, uh, the water, of course, is a reference to the word of God. Well, it is used symbolically that way, but that isn't what Jesus is saying at all. He makes it clear that being born of the water is our normal birth, our entrance in the world, and then there's a second birth. You know, A.B., one of the things that I've always appreciated about the Jesus uh, people movement back in the 60s and 70s is that there was a huge emphasis on being born again. And so when you're born again, um, what we really need to do is um, understand that's surrendering our hearts to Jesus Christ. Our lives once had a purpose. It was of our doing, our will. And now after being born again, the purpose of our lives is to be given to him. Completely and utterly to him. So that's what it means. Thank you, A.B. Appreciate the question. Here's an anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, hi, Pastor Ron. When Jesus breathed on the disciples in John 20:22, 20, was that different than in Acts 2? It seems like Jesus was empowering the disciples for a specific purpose, sending them out, but later would give them and everyone else the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Please tell me if I'm understanding this correctly. No, I don't think you are. I, I, again, there's... Mm, nothing really wrong with what you're saying but that's not what is going on Jesus the resurrected Christ in John chapter 20 breathes on them and said receive ye the holy spirit of god what he was doing there anonymous was sealing them with that deposit he was giving them remember he's given this this great commission he's warned them that that they're going to be before kings they're going to be persecuted and imprisoned, and even some of them would be would be killed. Um, persecution was such, but I'm giving you this seal. This is me sealing you forever. You remember in the upper room when Jesus uh, finally realized that his disciples got it. They knew he was going to die and leave them. He told them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And in the course of that upper room discourse, he tells him, don't worry. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another me. And that's really what he was saying. Different in physical form. Now, Now you can touch me. Then you won't be able to touch me. But it will still be me in you. And he said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. So when Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20, what he was saying is, um, now I'll be with you forever. Wherever you go, whatever you encounter, I'm going to be there. That was not The epi, E-P-I, and you put that in your question, that wasn't the epi experience, or we in English would say the upon experience, uh, where they're empowered. That's just the sealing experience. Ephesians 1 says, God gave us a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That's what happened in John chapter 20. The epi experience, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. And that's what changed, for example, Peter forever. Uh, Prior to that event, uh, a denier. After that event, a bold proclaimer of the gospel of grace and pointing a finger. You killed God. And and of course, the spirit came upon the crowd and 3000 men got saved on that day. So the epi or the upon experience is separate and distinct from being saved i want to be clear when jesus breathes on you and me that happens when we're born again uh, we have all of the holy spirit that we'll ever need but we need a daily experience where we can walk in the power of god each and every day And that's when we're, we call it filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, whatever you want to call it. I tell people, look, the terminology doesn't matter. I just want you to get it. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. And it was that event, Anonymous, that changed the world. So thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. He breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. Here is a question from James from our email inbox. Um, Hi, Pastor Ron. You mentioned that God has you in the right moment at the right time and to serve wherever he has you. No judgment on my heart, but why is it people do not serve? To add to that, why don't people want to serve when they can do it? James, there's only one answer. We're not submitted to God. It's that simple. We're still doing things our way. We're still doing what we want to do instead of what we have been given a mandate to do by the Lord. And that spiritual laziness, James, is is something that we all pay for. Now, I, I want to be clear on this one as well, James, because there's a lot of people who do not serve, and God doesn't need any of them. He wants to use them. He wants them to be empowered his spirit, but he won't violate their free will to make the choice. He doesn't want begrudging service. He doesn't want, well, I better do it. He wants us to be eager to serve and especially to serve others and serving others than we're serving him. And frankly, James, in our church culture, um, church is filled far more with spectators than with participants. You know, I played baseball from Little League all the way through college. I wanted to play Major League Baseball, just wasn't good enough to do it. But I played all the way through college. And I, I never had a game that was fun where I didn't get in the game and play. You know, you can sit on the bench, you can be at the game, you can you can shout, you can do a bunch of things. But unless you're actually playing, the game loses its value. Well, Christianity is much like that. And it's when we start serving other people that God pours out his spirit upon us and through us to others. And that's when we're really able to do what, what, what the Lord wants us to do. And I tell our people here all the time, James, um, and, and by the way, James was referring to Acts chapter um, 17, verse 26 that I studied last Sunday. Um, I tell our people all the time, that if they're not serving, they're quenching the work of the Spirit of God. And you'll we say, well, you know, I'm tired. I, uh, I've i got other things to do. Sunday's my only day of rest. Well, that's why we have services on Monday. We have services on Friday. We have services on Wednesday. We have three services on uh, on Sunday. I tell people here at our church, James, they you should be here on Sunday at least two services, and in all likelihood that it be here all three. Not to listen to me three times, but a service to listen to the Word being taught, a service to serve others, and then um, um, a service to pray, a service to do uh, something else. I mean, that Sunday belongs to him, not to us. And we still take it like, well, I want to watch the cowboy game, or, well, i got to get to lunch, or I need to take a nap. So that's why people aren't serving. Uh, and it's also why, James, in large part, it's also why they are missing out on the power experience of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, never grow weary in well-doing. And and uh, to make sure we don't grow weary, a lot of times we don't do well at all. Thank you very much. I appreciate the question. Let's go to our friend Greg in Bo Verde on line one Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
0: Hey, Pastor Ron. I'm glad I got this chance to talk with you. I'm so glad you have this show. It's, it's really great. I listen Thank to you. it all the time. Um my question is, uh, having a little bit of a tough day. Uh, you know my s situation and what the Holy Spirit told me back in June. Mm-hmm. And uh when you when you start to feel let's say you have a bad day I'm just kind of bump just kinda questioning, you know, what you heard was, was truth, you know, is this really gonna happen? Um, you know, maybe they would get a little depressed about it. Um, do you ever have days like that in, in, since you've been <laughs> born again? And if so, if so, what what do you do that really helps you?
2: Great. <laughs> this is a, a question I could spend a half hour on. Uh, obviously, I won't do it, but... Um, your your heart is such a blessing to me, and your honesty. I think it's really important. You asked, "Do I ever have days like that?" Every Christian has days like this. Let me give you just an example that's very current with us. I mentioned at the top of the program that we got a unanimous vote from the city council on 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 a building, a, a five and a half times bigger building than we've got. Um, so so we now are are earnestly beginning the process. Of of getting architects and and beginning reconstruction of the project, and uh, you know there there's a, a an empty building, uh, at Rolling Oaks Mall, the Macy's building, which is I, I want to buy it. I, I've always wanted to buy it. It's it's uh, empty. It's perfect. It's got thousands of parking places, uh, just perfect. And there was a day when uh, Paul and I were up there praying for that that building. And I felt like the Lord said, said again, I felt like it was the Holy Spirit speaking in my heart and saying, okay, make an offer to buy that building. And I made an offer to buy the building. Now, we don't have any money. so But the idea was I I, I believe God told me that. And the reality is that we made that offer. Nothing came of it. Um, um as as convinced as I was that it was really the Lord, nothing came of it, and we have since been in about a seven or eight month process of of finding this other place negotiating and seeing God work in other people's hearts. so now from this perspective, I can look at the the uh that, that experience and say, well you know clearly that wasn't the Lord said to make an offer. I did that, but it didn't mean I was going to get the building. It was part of the process, and I can appreciate it now because I have the, the advantage of hindsight. Well, you, you said you're having a bad day. There is a day coming a week from now, a month from now, or six months from now, where you're going to be able to look back on this with some clarity, and you're going to be able to understand what God was doing. Maybe it was a test. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And sometimes being proven faithful uh, happens in heartbreaking situations. And, And God is only concerned not about the result or the outcome. God is concerned about your faithfulness. And one of the things I know, Greg, about your heart in this particular issue is that you're all in for it in spite of the pain that you knew it would cause you. And you're in for it only because God said, and that pleases him so much. I always think of Abraham. Um, go to a place I will show you. He had to sell that to to his wife. Well, I, I God talked to me. And remember, they're idol worshippers. Which God? No, the God. And he knew my name. And he said, we're going to go to a place. Well, where are we going? I don't know. He's going to show me. Can you imagine how difficult that was to sell to her? And yet he convinced her because he knew that it was a real experience. So... 25 years passes before they get the fulfillment of that promise with the son from their own bodies. Hindsight allows them perspective. And Greg, today, having a tough day, you have no perspective. And that's okay, so how do we deal with it? And this is going to sound so cliché. I'm going to sound like a golfer or or an athlete or a tennis player or something. You do it one day at a time. You get up in the morning and say, Lord, today, of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. And when you do that, you take today as it comes. And don't try... To, to tie all the loose ends together. Don't try to make sense out of the things that you're not sure of yet. Just focus on Jesus today. And as you serve Him today, then there will be the fullness of joy. It doesn't mean that there won't be problems. It doesn't mean that you won't have questions. It doesn't mean that God is going to suddenly flood you with all the answers that are going to satisfy your curiosity. It just means that this is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. And sometimes, Greg, rejoicing in this day that the Lord has made is as simple as saying, Lord, I don't feel like rejoicing, but I'm going to do it because I know who you are. I know you're faithful. Greg, you've heard me say this before, but one of the things I do every morning is I will go outside and look at the eastern sky and I will say, Father, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Not by... Might, nor by power, but by your Spirit, in your name and for your glory. And I do that with Paula as well. Sometimes she's not with me. Most of the time she's not with me. But but the idea there is I I extend my hand and say, Lord, I'm I'm doing this in, in faith. When I start this whole process, often here in South Texas, it's cloudy. Today I was out pretty early and it was so cloudy. I couldn't see the sun coming up in the eastern sky. And I look at that eastern sky and I say, Lord, though I can't see you today, and the sun is just a metaphor for me. His mercy is new every morning. Even though I can't see that sun coming up over the horizon, I can say, Lord, because of your faithfulness, I know you're there. And the reality in living in a fallen world, Greg, is that we're going to have a lot of days, a lot of days, Where we don't feel or experience the presence of God. Think about the Apostle Paul. The book of Acts, we read it chapter to chapter to chapter. We just figure his life was one long series of miraculous events, um, big crowd. It wasn't, most of his time was spent traveling from one place to another um, on foot or on horseback praying for the people in all of the churches that he'd established. He had a lot of time to pray because there was a lot of time nothing was going on. We read the highlights in the book of Acts. But in between the highlights, a lot of down times. And a day like today, Greg, where you see you're having a tough day, part of it is because you're trying to figure out what God's overall plan is. Stop doing that. And the way you replace that is simply saying, Jesus, today, what about me? And you're going to find the presence of the Lord his grace is sufficient. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it very, very much. And you're always in our heart and in our prayers. Well, I didn't know I was talking so much. I'm down to one minute here in this half of the program. Uh again, I want to thank you for all of your prayers uh for our city council meeting. It went great yesterday. And we are now set on go um to get this thing done. So um, we would appreciate your continued prayer as often as the Lord brings us to heart or oh mind. We would love uh, to know that people are out there praying for us. We have 30 minutes left in the Wednesday program Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's area code 210 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. This is the Word of Santa for Life. I'll be back in two minutes.
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here are some questions that have come in while we wait your phone calls. Um, This first one is anonymous from our email inbox. Obviously somebody from our church. Hi, Pastor On. Since last week, I've been going around and inviting people to the men's retreat. And out of the at least 10 people I asked, seven of them are not going. I know one of them pretty well. And he said he never goes. Said he would rather not go. Did not provide a reason. Besides, it's not my thing. Another person said it's difficult to sleep On the bunk beds, one person said he did not prioritize it with his work schedule. I hope I'm not judging, but this breaks my heart. I imagine this is a supernatural phenomenon we can't reason with, but maybe it is. What are your thoughts on why men do not want to go to the retreat? Uh, Anonymous, I'm going to be as revealing as I possibly can to you, okay? I'm going to open my heart and trust you with it. I don't want to go to the retreat. Now, I go every year, and I love it when I'm there. Um, I, I see the work that God is doing. Uh I'm going expecting that God is gonna speak to my heart and I'm gonna be able to be around men that I love. Um, but um it's not my thing. I tell people, look, I don't even camp. I mean, I don't like nature, I don't like dirty, I, I you know, I'm I I married Paula this month will be fifty one years. I want to sleep with her. I really, really, really like my big shower. So I don't like it either. My flesh hates it. But the thing is, we've got to crucify our flesh. And we've got to do what God wants us to do. And the reality is that... And we've got a couple hundred men who are going to be going to the retreat. Um, But the reality is that the people that don't go... And they have all these excuses, hard to sleep. Uh, can you imagine somebody in Africa who walks three days to go listen to a Bible study or or go to a pastor's conference? Can you imagine what they would say? Somebody says, well, I don't like sleeping in monk beds. Well, they said, well, sleep on the floor or on the ground. That's what we do. I, I did a retreat in Idaho Falls, and uh, it was uh, 20 degrees, snow on the ground, And those hardy men in Idaho were sleeping in tents. I couldn't imagine doing that. I needed heat, and I needed something soft to lay on. But they were there to hear the Word of God. And the reality is, you know, I don't know how many men we've got in our church, six, seven hundred men. We've got their wives and women, and, and that doesn't count that. Um... Far more people don't go than go, and that's kind of indicative of their Christian walk. They're missing out on the things that God has for them, and because they're missing out, they're going to be those people that I refer to often as being sort of on the outside looking in, wondering, well, why isn't God hearing my prayers? Why don't I feel fulfilled? Where is that abundant life that Jesus promised me? And the reason they're not experiencing it is because they're really not getting involved. And they're not getting involved because they're sowing to the flesh rather than to the spirit. And the reality is they'll never know what they're missing. And we come back on Sunday and a lot of the men will be wearing their retreat T-shirts. And um, uh, while we'll be tired, uh, the, the place will be filled with excitement. And the men that didn't go won't know what they missed. And that's exactly where the enemy wants all of us. He wants us on the outside looking in so that we're not really actively engaged. And when you said it breaks your heart, imagine what that's like for me. When I'm looking every Sunday out at men who are not really surrendering to the will of God for their lives. Their families are suffering as a result. You know, we want our men to come back, godly men from this retreat. We want them to come back and repent, apologize to their families for being selfish, for for not being engaged, for not reading with their wives and with their kids if they have kids we want him to start fresh that's what retreats are for it's just time to get away and be alone with Jesus and the people that you've been talking to they just demonstrate that time being with Jesus isn't a priority for these men, Anonymous and the the sad reality is they're going to continue living their lives pretending that everything is fine and it's just not fine so um, I, I don't sympathize with anybody who says well it's not my thing it's not my thing either And I'm like a hundred years old. And yet I'm going to be there and I'm going to be blessed and I'm going to have men pour their hearts out to me. And at the end, Jesus is going to put his arm around me and say, that was worth it, wasn't it? And it always is. So keep inviting people. That's all we can do. We invite them, but unless they're willing to surrender to the spirit of God, uh, this is going to be the norm In a very comfortable Western or American church setting, uh, people simply don't want to be inconvenienced at all when it comes to the things of God. They want to be blessed. They go to church. Probably they're really going to heaven. But they just don't want it to cost them anything. And believe me, that is not a biblical way to live at all. So, Anonymous, thank you for being engaged with the people. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to our next question is from our mobile app. This one also anonymous. How old was Noah when he died? Uh, He was 950 years old. We know that from Genesis 9.29. uh, All the days of Noah were 950 and he died. Pretty remarkable life. I'm going to actually be talking a little bit about Noah uh, in the one session that I do at our men's retreat. So um, uh, I'm I'm actually really thrilled to have um, the opportunity to talk about Noah. 950 years. And, uh, you know, we've got one stumble and fall recorded for us in Scripture. But um, Noah was a hero, an absolute hero. Hero, a faith giant. So I think that answers your question. Thank you very much, Anonymous. Here is a question from Scott from our mobile app. Pastor Ron, what is replacement theology? Uh, First of all, Scott, it's heresy. Um, I want to get that out in the open. Uh, Replacement theology is that the church has replaced Israel in all of the promises that God made to Abraham. So Israel, the promises were made to them. They blew it. They rejected those promises, and the church took over. On the day of Pentecost, the church came into existence. The church now are the beneficiaries or the inheritors of those promises. The problem with that is many of those promises made to Abraham in particular were unconditional promises. And if God doesn't fulfill those unconditional promises... Then, then he's not God. I mean, obviously, if God makes a promise, he's a not lying God. If if he doesn't fulfill those promises, then then we're all lost in our sins. Um, Anti-Semitism has always reared its ugly head. Uh, a lot of people who are covenant theologians, um, their systematic theology, um, they've adopted this. Um, well, well, Israel is anti-God now. Well, of course they are, and uh, Paul explains that. Uh, a hardening in part, a veil has covered their hearts, and a hardening in part has come until the fullness of Gentiles comes in. The, 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 the rejection of the Jews has been a blessing for people like us, Gentiles. And, uh, and so, uh, Scott, replacement theology is um, demonic, and it's just about as bad as it can possibly be. So um, that's what it is. Don't get caught up in it. Um, Anti-Semitism is always, always, always from the devil. Okay, three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Timothy. Why didn't God keep the serpent from deceiving Eve? Um, Timothy, in a way, God is the one who set up the deception by giving them a choice. Um, You know, God put a tree in the garden that said, okay, you can eat from every other tree, every other plant. Uh, You can eat from it, but one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from that tree you must not eat because in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And of course, we know Eve was deceived, and Adam jumped in wholeheartedly. Um, uh, and and the serpent, and then I remember that the serpent wasn't the devil; uh, the devil inhabited the serpent uh, at that particular time. By the way, Timothy, the, the serpent wasn't crawling on the ground—that would be a result of the fall. Um, and, and because I know Satan's character, uh, I think the serpent was like the most beautiful, stunning creature of all of the creatures that that were made. And he chose that one uh, and kind of slithered up next to them and, and, and deceived them. So it was God who allowed that choice to be made. And the moment that the choice was an option, uh, there's always going to be... Uh, uh, Somebody who's going to try to get you to take the wrong make the wrong choice um it was why Satan himself called Lucifer um, the equivalent to Michael the Archangel in scripture and power and strength and beauty and majesty um but he wanted to be God. God gave the angels a choice, and Lucifer made the wrong choice. he deceived a third of the angels uh who would then be demons, um, two-thirds of the angels maintained their first estate, um, and, and Lucifer was the most powerful of all of them. So so the same reason God doesn't keep temptation from you, you have to make a free will choice every day to serve the Lord. And the same reason that, that he allows that in your life is the reason that he allowed it in Eve's life as well. So she was um, deceived. She didn't have to be, but that was the case she was. Thank you, Timothy. Flora says, No, I don't think this is my flora because she's in Germany, but I miss you, Flora, if it is your if it is you. Flora says in Acts four, people away gave their possessions. Why doesn't the church do this now? Uh, Flora, it wasn't a situation where God is saying, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be. Let's sell everything and let's pool all of our stuff together. God was not making a comment on, on uh, an economic system that he favors. Um, what, what Acts chapter 4 is, is a commentary on love. And I think one of the things, Flora, that we have to remember is in the early church when Jews, and it was entirely Jewish, when Jews were getting saved, they would be disowned by their families. Families would even have funerals for their for their, their, their family members who converted to Christianity. It's like saying, they're dead to me now. And they were on their own. They couldn't conduct business in the marketplace, the, the outer courts of the temple. Um, they were persona non grata, everywhere they went. And so they were completely on their own. So when thousands of people, we, we sometimes, I think, lose the impact of of 3,000 men. So let's just say that's 6,000, 8,000 uh, women and children in, included. And then a few days later, 5,000 more men, another um, 10,000 or so uh, people, maybe more than that. So you got a twenty thousand uh, person church and, and a lot of those people now have nowhere to go. No nobody to provide for them. They can't work. They wanna work, they can't work. And all they know is that their whole life changed when they got born again. And and God, as he always does, met their need. And he used Barnabas, of course, at the end of chapter three. He used Barnabas to set the tone And it was just that that magnificent moment where he said, look, I've got this money, all these people are hurting. And he just spread it at the apostles' feet and and basically said, you know, use the money as the Lord leads. Take care of these people. And that's exactly what they were able to do. So it was just God demonstrating to a whole group of brand-new, persecuted, uh, confused, um, lonely Christians it was God saying, you watch this, I'll take care of you. And that's one of the reasons the church was so close. That's one of the reasons that there was such a family atmosphere, even in that huge number of people. Uh, it was simply because God was there taking care of them. So the church doesn't do this today because we don't need everybody to give their money away. So that's really important for us. So God wasn't making commentary on an economic system, a government system. He was simply saying, okay, here's what love looks like in a time of persecution, in a time of trial. So, Flora, that's what it was really there all about. Here is a question from Mickey. He says, are carnal Christians really saved? Um, yeah, Mickey, I think many, most, I don't know, if they're really Christians, they're all saved. Uh, but, you know, the idea of carnality depends on what they're doing. Uh, you know, Paul describes twice, 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5, carnal behavior. And he said people who live like this, in other words, a lifestyle, a pattern of willful behavior, People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So they're not really saved. But carnal Christians, there's a whole bunch of carnal Christians. The question we had about why men don't want to go to the retreat. It's not my thing. I have a hard time sleeping. That's carnality. That's all it is. And the letter to the Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians, um, Paul addresses the most carnal church of all of the letters he's written he addresses them as brothers, and he scolds them because they're brothers. Judgment begins at the house of God. And he was trying to exhort them to walk worthy of the name Christ and worthy of the calling in their lives. But he acknowledges their family. Certainly not a perfect family, but their family, and that's exactly um, his point, start acting like family, start acting like Christians. And and the, the response that we know from Second Corinthians is that they did what he said. So yeah, there's a lot of people in the church who are very carnal. They're focused, Mickey, on what they want to do rather than what God wants to do. Uh, I said earlier they want all the blessings of God, the ability to pray and get answers to those prayers without it costing them anything. That's pretty carnal. And whether or not they're saved, Galatians 6 says that God will not be mocked. He cannot be deceived. And then Paul writing to Timothy says, God knows those who are his. And the reality, Mickey, is we don't have to know. Here's a question from Drake. Drake says, can demons read our mind? Um, Drake, no, I don't think demons can read our mind. I think demons... Uh, are really good predictors of our behavior. Um, They're always hanging around. They know the choices we're going to make. They know the condition of our walk with the Lord. Um, But no, they can't read our minds. Now here's, at least to me, this is interesting, Drake. Um, They can plant thoughts in our minds. We know that because there's several instances in the Old Testament where uh, the devil placed in somebody's mind, David, for example, to, to number uh, his troops uh, with census, in that census. Even Joab tried to say, don't do this terrible thing. Um, um, but, but they planted that thought in David's mind. So they can plant thoughts in our mind, but they can't read our minds. So I don't think it's important. Let me also say, Drake, that... Um, I don't think we need to worry. You know, I know people that won't pray out loud because they don't want the devil to hear. Remember, when we're we're in fellowship with the Lord, we're protected. He's going to protect us. We have to be afraid of the devil. We have to worry about him. No, we don't need to talk to him, but but we we don't need to be afraid of him. And um, the reality is that that uh, they know most of the stuff uh, about us that we say out loud anyway. So uh, I think the best approach to all of us uh, with regard to the enemy uh, is to understand that he is real, he's powerful, much more powerful than we are, but infinitely less powerful than Jesus is. And when we really know that, then what, what we'll do is what I do, when I hear the voice of the enemy or when I'm being attacked, I just say, Lord, I don't want to spend one minute with him. You deal with him. I want to get closer to you. And God's been pretty good at protecting me and and doing all of that. So thank you very, very much. 340-9585. I think we're inside five minutes now for the program. So if you're going to call, call quickly. Anonymous wants to know, is being slain in the spirit real? Uh, It's real. It's just not from God. So um, being slain in the spirit is charismatic nonsense uh, I have experienced it in my own life personally. Uh, even when I was trying not to, uh, there was a power in that room and it knocked me off balance a little bit and I was stealing myself so that I wouldn't fall down. Everybody in the in the auditorium, there was like 20,000 people there and everybody was falling down in sections. It was a Benny Hinn nonsense and they were falling down in sections And I just thought, that can't be real. Now, this is when I'm a new believer. I was at Benny Hinn's place because I thought this was an anointed man of God. Um, So I know it was real. It knocked me off balance. But watching what happened in that event, it was clear that it was staged. It was clear that it wasn't real. But it was equally clear, Anonymous, that there was real power there. And so the real power doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. The problem with Christians is we gather at a place like this. And say, well, we're all Christians, so anything that happens is of the Lord, and we sort of take off our discernment caps, and we, we we're, we're made fools of uh, by an enemy whose job is to lie to us and to deceive us. So being slain in the spirit, and, and any and every church that practices, they know it's phony. But they do it anyway, because the people love it, because they can leave saying, hey, I experienced God, and they can go back to living their carnal lives. Very, very important, Anonymous. It is not real, and anytime you open yourself up to that kind of nonsense, I think we have to be really, really careful. Here will be the last question that I have today. This one is from Patrick. How many judgments are there, and why will Christians be judged if we've been forgiven? Of our sins, uh, Christian. Uh, I'm sorry, Patrick. Christians will be judged three times. Um, there are three judgments. The bema judgment—that is a judgment for works. You and I will stand before the Lord to receive crowns. At that that bema seat, Romans 12, First um, uh, Corinthians chapter three. Uh, when when we stand before the Lord, our works will be weighed, whether they were good or good for nothing. The, the, the NIV says good or bad. But literally, it's good or good for nothing. And that's where our motives are going to be examined. Why did we do it? What did we do? Uh, were we like Ananias and Sapphira, really holding stuff back? Whatever it is. So um, that's the first one. It is a judgment of our works, and it's intended for us to, to receive or lose rewards. There is That's the Bema seat. There's the White Throne Judgment. Uh, the white throne judgment will happen at the end of the thousand years of of Christ on earth. The devil will be let loose for a time to deceive the nations. The billions upon billions of people that were born during the thousand year millennium who never had a choice to serve God. They were compelled to serve Jesus Christ. They're going to have their opportunity to make a choice and they're going to be judged. The great white throne judgment is going to happen. Then the lake of fire is going to be created. And that's where all of God's enemies forever and ever and ever Will be cast, and then the third judgment in the millennium is going to be the judgment of nations, and the nations are going to be judged, the sheep and the goats, based on how they treated Israel. What did you do to my people, my my prized possession, Israel, the apple of my eye, and the nations that um, put them to death, persecuted them? Um, they're going to be the the goats. Uh, And then the other nations who were kinder to them, uh, they're going to be the sheep and there's going to be rewards and judgment for that as well. So, Patrick, three judgments and Christians are only going to be judged for works, not for salvation at all. So rest assured. Hey, thank you for tuning in tomorrow. Paula will be live in studio with us on the day to edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, with Paul at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The we'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.